Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 58 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. And I'm Keely Henninger. And we think Hillary is stuck in Munich. TBD. She's in Europe somewhere. She just ran a 47K in Ireland, did some biking around, looked wet, but relatively fun. And she's working her way back stateside. But Keely, you're also not at home right now. Where are you? I'm like, I'm at what I like to call my second home. I'm in Park City, where normally we spend like three or four months every summer. But this summer, because of all this other stuff that's happened, we've only gotten to be here for a week, which is really sad. and also makes me feel like a horrible mountain biker, because normally I have like months of mountain biking under my belt. And yeah, my friend Colleen's been biking all summer, so she's doodly cooking my butt. But yeah, I love being in Park City. We've been doing some wedding planning stuff. Um, getting in some good runs, some dog hikes, some mountain bikes. Um, we got snow up high. So we had our engagement shoot up on near the Wasatch Crest. And so we had this mix of like dusting of snow and yellow and red aspens. And so like, I'm super stoked about it. It was definitely really cold, but it was worth it. I think the photos will be really cool. So yeah, tell tell us how beautiful the colors <laughs> are in the Wasatch this time of year. Oh my gosh, it's next level. Like you go through these canyons and basically every tree is either yellow, orange or red. And then the cool thing about the like the canyons like area is that all of the mountain slopes are like differentiated by yellows. And so like you can see the different like caverns within a canyon based off of just the coloring of the trees and it looks so cool. Yeah, if everyone following me on Instagram just check out my stories I post every day now because it's, <laughs> it's amazing because you're like it's not wet I'm not in wet rainy Portland yeah um, <laughs> aspens are cool trees too because this is and I'm not going to be completely accurate on this someone who actually works in nature is going to correct us which will be awesome um I've been told that aspens like aspen groves like they're one giant connected organism mm -hmm. so that's like why when one tree turns like the, well it's not ever one tree it's like the whole grove turns colors at the same time because they're technically you know I'm using air quotes here on a podcast all the same tree which I just think is really cool like they're, like, they're mm -hmm. this massive organism that looks like it's you know hundreds of trees when really it's like they're all connected yeah no I've heard that too so I think there's at least some some smidge of truth to that statement. <laughs> yeah. Is that a myth? Someone let us know about how aspens work, but they're phenomenally beautiful this time of year for that very reason, I think. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah. So amazing. Awesome. We have, I guess the only update on my end is that when this comes out, I will be two days out from heading over to Kodiak um, to do the 100K there at Kodiak by UTMB. I've like done some good long runs. I felt amazing this weekend. On my long run on the PCT, did like an easy 20 miler, felt so smooth and just like didn't have to nice. think about it, like not forced at all. Ran into Tommy Sullivan, MK Sullivan's husband, um, by like total chance. It was amazing. Nice. He's also doing the 100K at Kodiak. So we like caught up for five cool. minutes on the trail and we're going to have quite the, the party house over at mm -hmm. Kodiak too. I think we've got all the heavy hitters for the 50K staying with us essentially. So cool. it should be a very... A very fun, very good time in Kodiak, even if many of us feel like we're kind of being forced to go do it. So we're making the best of a funny situation. Totally. Yeah. And I officially signed up for Thailand. So, um, yep. Yay, Here we go. So Anybody who's raced you. Thailand or is going to race Thailand, you should DM me and we can 
uh, talk about things because you guys can plan coffee. A little bit intimidating. Yeah. You guys can plan coffee excursions because based on what I saw from Worlds and then Hannah and Rich going to Thailand last year for Doi and Thinon, the like final UTMB race of the series or before like the year ends, basically. Um, it seemed really fun. It seems like there's a bunch of cool food in the area. Cool. It seems like you can bop around pretty easily. So hopefully you guys have a really good trip in December. Perfect. Yeah. Little pre holiday, little pre holiday send for both of us. Um, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Before we dive into the news, because this is an amazing episode, we interviewed Sophie Power, who is a powerhouse, like very, very cool interview. Before we do that, we got to get into some news and some quick results, but we're going to kick it off by just giving a big thank, thank you, big shout out to the folks over at AG1 making this whole thing happen. Really, and and you guys hear me say this every other week because we're not an every week podcast. Truly, they've like helped make this possible. Um, the funding that we get from people like AJ1 allows us to do some cool things. And we're excited to kind of put that into practice as we head towards 2024. So watch out for some ideas brewing on the horizon. But if you also want to try out AG1, you can go over to www.athleticgreens.com slash trail society. And there with your first order, you get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. So do it. Go over there. It helps us out. It helps them out. And by helping us out, we're going to get to do some cool stuff in 2024. We don't make any money off this podcast, but we're going to use some of that funding to do some cool shit. So don't go anywhere. The news. I think we've got two kind of big stories that I want to talk about. The first Mm -hmm. is the Scott Treyer piece that came out in Trail Runner Mag called He Qualified for Team USA, Then Came the Bill. Keely, did you have a chance to, to look through it? I did. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, me and you were on the same USA team back in what, 2016 or 2017. And mm-hmm. this piece for sure resonated with me because as an up and coming runner, like we had to fund a decent amount of it because we got reimbursed for some of the flight, but not all of the flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, reading the the people in this article's, you know, experience running for Team USA resonated a lot with me. Um, I think the overall theme of this article was basically saying that you know, you get this qualification done and you get this honor of representing Team USA. And it seems like this really amazing thing. And you're really excited to go. And it typically involves, you know, traveling to a different country and joining your teammates in this country and being there a couple of days beforehand. Um, however, you, you not, you're not necessarily guaranteed, you know, funding for that whole trip. And so then all of a sudden that, you know, glimmer of like the shininess of being on Team USA kind of dims, right? Because you're like, oh, I actually have to pay for a, a decent amount of this. And, you know, trips to Europe are not cheap. And so, yeah. um, or, or yeah. Asia, or, you know, I think, I think, mm-hmm. or the, the worlds actually we talked to Sophie Power about a little bit too is in December. It's a 24 hour worlds team in December in Taiwan, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that adds another, another level of complexity from a travel perspective. I went to world, my first world's team was 2016. And mm-hmm. I was unsponsored. It was my first year racing ultras. I got a spot because I won the U.S. 50 mile championships at Cayuga mm-hmm. out in Ithaca. And the only reason I could go, and it wasn't even a question, was because Ian Golden, the race director for Red Meat Racing and Cayuga 50, he put up airfare for mm-hmm. both m- myself and the top male who's going to take mm-hmm. his spot on the world's team. Cool. So that's the only reason that I could mm-hmm. be like, okay, I think I can make this work because he put up money equivalent i think we i think we got we double dipped i think he gave us money for 
winning the championships and then he gave us money to reimburse us for our airfare so just like a huge like a huge help and it's Uh it shouldn't fall on the the race sponsors to make that happen in that essence you know so the Mm -hmm. big the big thing here is that the call out is going towards the usa tf um board of directors because Mm -hmm. they allocate money every year to the different branches within usatf and while we joke kind of joke that we don't have a national governing body trail and ultra under like world championship style stuff because world athletics is coming on to kind of take over the world mountain and trail running championships the wmt rc cr whatever um Mm -hmm. is um so world athletics is coming on so a lot of teams fall under the national governing body of the track and field and road racing Mm -hmm. arm of the sport but that money isn't necessarily allocated in a massive way towards the, they call it the MUT, the Mountain Ultra Trail Team. Like uh, one of the quotes from the article was like, things have come a long way. In 1999, a mere $250 was distributed to each MUT subcommittee, totaling $750 for all 1999 expenses. In 2013, uh, the MUT teams received $25,000 in funding for travel. This year, they received $83,000 for distribu- well, $83, was distributed across all the teams it sends to international championships for MUT discipline. So that's not mm-hmm. just, um, that's not just, you know, the World Mountain and Trail Running Championships. That's the 24-hour team. That's Is, is there a 50K or 100K road championships going on this mm-hmm. year? That's NACAX that just happened up in um, in Canada. Like there are a lot of, this isn't just, you know, one championship team being funded a year. This is like, a, this is several disciplines. We had a 40 person team go to Innsbruck in June. Like, right. That's a lot of money that, and mm-hmm. a lot of money that's not being paid for by sponsors, by, mm-hmm. um, by USA track and field, by it's being paid by the individuals, mm-hmm. which makes sense too, because unless you're a Nike sponsored athlete, it's not necessarily a value add for many companies mm-hmm. to have you go race worlds because yeah, it hasn't gotten enough shine yet. It's not like, yeah. It's getting there. It's getting more shine. But why would they have you go there and be in a Nike kit if you're running for On or Adidas or Solomon? Like I know Solomon in particular has been like, um, has told, I know Max King couldn't do a world's team one year because Solomon was like, no, we really want you to do this thing instead. Mm-hmm. And I think Jeff Colt says that too in the article. My sponsor On was clear that they supported my decision either way but they were more interested in me running Western States. That's cold. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. There's a lot of media attention at races like States and UTMB, which allows brands to activate and get visibility for their logo. The support feels good as an athlete too, but it's not just better for the brand. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where the tricky part lies is that, you know, when you do make a team, you're pretty much fully dependent on the USATF paying for you to go because your sponsor most likely won't pay for you to go or, you know, you're going to have to tap into, you know, your travel stipend that you're supposed to use for other races as well. And so it just Mm -hmm. gets a little bit tricky um, when, you know, it's definitely on USATF to get the athletes to the championship so that we can actually show up. And I think the cool thing that I've noticed is like, obviously looking at those numbers you just read off, Corinne, they are adding money to the MUT fund without any push. Like we haven't launched that petition until now. Um, so that's really good. And then I do think because they've now made it a championship weekend where all of those disciplines race together, 
-hmm. it is getting more hype. And I think sponsors are getting a little more excited about it just because it does get more publicity now. Um, And so while, you know, it still requires you to wear a USA singlet with a Nike swoosh on it um, and potentially prioritize this race over another race, um, it is getting more, you know, more, more press and also, you know, USA showing up in a better space now. So like we can actually contend on that, that world stage. Yeah. And, and specifically the event that we've been referring to a little bit is the world mountain and trail running championships, which does combine several disciplines into one championship weekend or week that is moving to an every other year format as well, which, which aids the hype and it aids the national governing bodies being able to probably put a little bit more money mm-hmm. allocated on those on those years or save money when it's not being used fully on other years. I'm hoping it's not like a spend it or lose it type of thing. But Scott Treyer um, had to turn down a spot a decade ago um, because he couldn't afford to go. He has a decade later, he has made another world's team. Um, And so he decided that this was the time to launch a petition that's going to be sent to the USA track and field board of directors asking for more transparency on regulations um, that include things like the MUT discipline and how funding is allocated to the MUT side of the sport to fully fund national teams for world championships events. So we're going to link the change.org petition in the show notes, um, but it's being covered well on Trailrunner Mag. Um, we'll share it on our socials, et cetera. So um, go give it a gander. It's a pretty straightforward petition. And I think it's worth worth getting signatures on it because I know athletes who my my personal thing is I'm not going to go into debt for sport. Like I'm not I'm not racking up bills on my credit card to to like hope that I get paid back at some point or I make it big, et cetera. That's always been like a rule of mine. But I know I know a lot of athletes who who have done that, both in our sport and in like other Olympic disciplines. Like no one's making money doing bobsled, um, et cetera, or speed skating. Like not a lot of money being made there. So I know a lot of athletes who go into debt or who take a big financial hit every time they go to represent their country at a championship style event. And I think that that's not entirely fair. So besides having to do a bake sale or sell hats or whatever it is, it'd be nice just to have some of that Nike Nike money that's coming into USA track and field allocated towards the athletes. Cause I don't think, yeah. it, I think it's lining other people's pockets right now. Yeah. And it'd be really interesting too. Like you guys, if you know of other sports that have issues with this, you should reach out to us and tell us your story too. Cause I'm sure it's not just the mutt side of things. Like you said, bobsled, I'm sure there's a lot of other sports where people are breaking the bank just to represent their country. Yeah. In a, in a big, big way. So we've got one other story to talk about before we do talk about some results. And that's the Boston marathon and the drama, the drama llamas, um, specifically, you know, it's in regards to, there's a number of stories around Boston. There are some people saying that the world, the, the, the world, that the women's um, qualifying time is too slow. It's significantly slower than the men's qualifying time. That being said, men still, there's still 14% more men in the race than, than women. Um, so it's not, it doesn't matter. I would say that like the, the times should equate to whatever we can get close to a 50, 50 f- field with. So I don't care about the women's qualifying time. I, I maybe it needs to be a little bit easier for different for different age groups so that we can get more women into the race. But I think a lot of the the pushback has come because of specific brands doing some stuff this week that seemed like they were a little disconnected from the running community and the audience. Um, and it came across, I think, as elitist and ignoring a lot of societal issues that present themselves in sport. People are going to say, 
separate sports and politics, separate societal things from sports, like let sports be sports, et cetera. That's not how the world works. We know that the barriers exist um, in a gendered space, in a racial space, in a um, in a body shape space, et cetera. Like those societal, quote unquote, not norms, because they shouldn't be norms. Those things bleed into sports. So like, don't, we're not going to try to separate them here. But Tracksmith is one of those brands that made one of those big oopsies this week. And the wider community held them accountable. Like the, if I don't know, they haven't removed the post yet. I don't think they're going to remove the post. They've put up an apology post, but have not removed the original post. Um, so if you want to go take a gander at the old uh, comment section, it is fire. It is people standing up largely for each other, um, which I think is kind of cool. But there's some really strong messaging kind of throughout that comment section of like why this specific brand moment kind of missed the mark, including quoting, which I didn't see the initial initial quote being um, uh, being what not allocated, but uh, essentially the, the the quote they use at the top of their post of this is not a jogging race is from Jock Semple, the RD who is famous for literally pulling women off the course, mm-hmm. not welcoming <clears throat> people into the sport. You know, they're kind of like, oh, 1970s, the peak of amateur athletics, which is on brand for Tracksmith because they're all, you know, quote unquote, all about the amateur. Um, but this brand mm-hmm. launch was also about like a Boston qualifier registrant only singlet they're mm-hmm. putting out. And I think that that felt very, very, sh- not shameful, but leaning into elitism without necessarily yeah. celebrating the amateur or celebrating the people who put in a lot of time and maybe came up, you know, 29 seconds short because you had to run faster than the qualifier to get in. Right. Have you spent any time wiggling around the comment section in there? I have. And I think it's a tricky scenario, right? I think why they got the most backlash is because they do typically try to resonate with the amateur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, in the past there have been brands who've launched like Boston specific lines and all this stuff. And I think, we it's towing the line between we still do want to celebrate people who qualify for Boston because you know Boston does deal. have this it's a big deal and we can still have standards for certain races and make that like still a qualifying standard without making people feel bad for not hitting that standard and so I've I've found it hard to like navigate the comments here because on one side I understand that we should celebrate those who qualified because it is a very historical race. It does like require you to run a little bit faster than other marathons. And so you do want to celebrate those people. You also don't want to, you know, change your whole like view on those who don't qualify. Um, And so it's tricky, right? Because you kind of want to celebrate both sides without coming across as elitist. And so it's really tricky. And I think, you know, I'm almost a little bit, um, I'm I'm happy for Tracksmith that they came out with a good response and apology. And I almost feel like it's at least a little more noble of them to keep the post up and be like, hey, we did this and it was wrong. And we're not going to delete it and pretend it didn't happen. We're at least leaving it up there. I mean, again, not the greatest, but I don't think it's the worst thing that they've kept it up and then apologized for it and then continued to keep it up as in like they're owning that they did do kind of a mistake. I don't yeah. know. That's my thought. Yeah. And, yeah. They could have, they could have, you know, turned off the comments. They could have, there's a lot of things they could have done, which we've seen people do when we, when, oh, yeah. when a pile on happens. Um, and, and it can be hard sitting on their side of that. And, 
and not reacting and, and letting the pile on happen and then figuring out how you want to approach it. It's mm-hmm. super stress, super stressful. I think it just, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, not everyone gets to go to the Olympics. Not everyone gets mm-hmm. to do X, Y, or Z thing. I think some of the phrasing maybe of like, you know, you put in the miles, the lonely miles, mm-hmm. like you've done the, you've done the hard work and it's like, mm-hmm. I know we're not going to give up participation trophies, but I think it's one of those things where it didn't celebrate everyone and i feel mm-hmm. like a race particularly i mean it's hard being a big race you've you've probably been historically exclusionary without necessarily meaning to and it's the, mm-hmm. it goes back to that quote that we've used utmb a bunch of being like you can be a mirror i.e you can just be the status quo and a lot of big races in their exclusionary tactics have been a mirror right it's like well women can't women can't own a checking account so why would they be able to run a marathon like they were mirroring society totally. but as a big race organization you have the choice to be a mirror or the choice to be a door and and welcome change and be the first to t- the first to say you're right like we don't think xyz thing is right we're going to change this policy or that policy or we're going to set aside these spots to make sure it's you know representative etc 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 recognizing that there are yeah. societal barriers to for a lot of people mm-hmm. um people from underserved communities people uh w- like women who haven't had you know who take on the burden of housework and childcare and missing qualifiers due to being pregnant or postpartum and mm-hmm. it i think when we don't create opportunities for those communities to get to start lines like this like that's where those barriers become heightened totally yeah one thing i found interesting is that i started diving into the historical data from the boston marathon just to see the percentage of women and male finishers because they actually started showing the breakdown on their website after like 2008 or something and like while they're still not perfect they have made leaps and bounds from Mm -hmm. like 20 2010 to 2020 to now where like, you know, 2021, there was more women that finished than men. And so how was that historically like are, awful year, right? Yeah. Historically awful, which might just, but there were also more, more women entrants that year. So cool. like in general, there were just more women in that race, but like, again, it's not 50, 50 yet, but it's not like crazy off. It's probably like 60, 40. So I feel they're like doing it, better than making, ultra running. Exactly. Like they're trying. And so again, like, again, commending the trying, acknowledging that it's not quite enough yet but at least they're like moving in the right direction and maybe that is like keeping the standard the same for a little bit or you know reserving those charity spots maybe make those disproportionately open to females or minority groups those who maybe can't hit that qualifier yet um maybe you like have that kind of like entry process for those charity groups be a little bit more diverse Um, yeah because being able to run a six-hour marathon or make it to the marathon course in six hours is still a huge achievement and I think to to kind of round out this specific bit of news, um, there's another group. Um, it's it's pronounced Pioneers, but it's P Y N R S Pioneers Performance Streetwear. Mm. Took to Instagram as well, and they kind of they um, used some Attractsmith's original language to kind of like tell a completely different side of the story. So it said, "Run your pace." When entries opened and for the 1970 Boston Marathon, women were barred from entry. Just another chapter in a decades-long story of elitism and exclusion that still persists today. The BQ is just a time. Marathoning is so much more than that. It's the early mornings, getting miles in before work. It's leaving babies with loved ones or seeking out childcare. 
It's traveling to train. It's traveling to race. It's moving money around to register for events that you probably really can't afford. It's trying to trick yourself into actually believing that all you need is a pair of sneakers. It's worrying about your safety of an unknown route. It's thinking about your family worrying about you not coming home. And it's knowing that on your best day, you will never be you will never be seen as good enough, but still showing up anyway. You aren't less of a runner if you didn't BQ. You still run 26.2. And I just thought that like that reminds me so much of Allison Desir's running while black book and like talking about the historical implications of a lot of these races and like the racial breakdown there. So um yeah, I just think it's interesting. If you don't read that book yet, give it a shout out. But I thought the pioneers did a really good job with that. Um, we have to quickly burst through some results before we get into our long but really excellent interview with um, Sophie Power. So quickly, two big golden ticket races happened in the last three weeks, those being Nice Cote d'Azur by UTMB, um, kind of one of the final UTMB qualifiers in on the European continent. Um, we don't know that the women have taken tickets yet. They've got two weeks to decide. The winner was Eleanor Davis, took the win by almost an hour. Mario Likinen, Likinen, a Finnish athlete, was second. And then Julia Vinko of Italy took third. Again, I haven't seen confirmation that any of those women have confirmed acceptance of the ticket. Um, I know it was like, so Eleanor or Elsie Davis, it was like her first official 100-kilometer race. So I don't know that she will be taking the Western States ticket or not. Um, would love to see it. Don't know if it's going to happen. On the men's side, only a month after UTMB, Jim Walmsley came back and took the win over his friend and good training partner, Simone Goslin. Uh, they live in the same valley, the Beaufort boys. Um, and they no both more. accepted their golden tickets, which is very so cute. Yeah. Um, and third was Philip Osserhofer, um, an Austrian athlete who I think had a hard day, but got the thing done. And it was really cool. Flip into the US real quick, because our last podcast came out before this race happened, but it happened and it was really cool. Grindstone, um, 100K which is the involvement of the Grindstone 100 Mile becoming a bigger event, a by UTMB event. The Calebs took home the golden tickets, being Caleb Olson and Caleb Bowen going one and two, with Justin Grunewald finishing a not-too-distant third. On the women's side, I'm super, 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 super stoked about this. Lottie Brinks took the win just six minutes over Devin Yanko. Um, both claimed their tickets, and then Anna Fisher, who's a Salt Lake City um, mm -hmm. gal finished third. And then we have to give really quick shout outs to Mike McMonagall and Alyssa St. Laurent for taking the wins and the hundred mile race. I feel like we've been waiting for both of those athletes to like knock something out of the park and they yeah. did. And we owe them all the cheers because yeah. they, they're both amazing humans. It's so cool to see Mike crush it when he has so much stoke and passion for the sport. And yeah, just and he's been injured. He's just had weird injuries for yeah. a long time, and it's been mm -hmm. a frustrating road for him. So excited mm -hmm. to see him. And a little little shout out for my athlete Carlos. He Yay! Finished in the top like fifty percent of the race in his first hundred mile. That's and super cool. Crushed his goal and was like, you know, just stayed sound in the mind and continued eating the whole time. And so very proud of him. Very cool. That's a good reminder. For those people who are doing UTMB World Series races who aren't just trying to get a stone, getting stones is sick. I'm going to Kodiak to get stones. Hopefully I get an auto qualifier, but I'll take the stones. I, I'll happily take the stones. Um, I had an athlete who finished sixth in the Nice 115K. So it doesn't, didn't necessarily get a top three auto qualifier, but because she scored, she needed to score over a 660 in the UTMB index score to get an automatic qualifier for CCC. Mm -hmm. She ran a, she scored a 663. So she got her email. Mm -hmm. 
no. for, from UTMB saying, hey, here's your auto entry into next year's race. So um, just a reminder for people going to Kodiak, people going to Puerto Vierta, people going to um, Doyantanon in Thailand, um, being top three or top 10 there, you can also get qual. you can also auto qualify for next year. If it's a really competitive field and you're sixth or seventh or eighth, like it's very likely that you will still get a qualifier. So don't give up if you're sitting outside the top three in those yeah. races because um we're seeing athletes that are sixth, seventh, et cetera, um, make the qualifier. So yeah. And you guys can all thank Corinne for that because her group with the PTRA really pushed for the change in the UTMB, you know, stone kerfuffle. <laughs> stone kerfuffles, right. Yeah. And I can't for think the, of a better word for it. It's just for yeah. those of you too, this is kind of a select audience. But if you if you are someone who could probably get an auto qualifier being say top three to top five at most races or top ten at a major, um, but you are currently injured or have been injured or sick or your calendar does not allow you to travel before the end of the year or there's no race near you and flying across the world doesn't make sense either. Um, reach out to us, but you can probably re- you can reach out to UTMB essentially and they will grant ex- exemptions for people to do springtime qualifiers for the 2024 race. So that is that is out there in the world, reach out to me. You can slide into my DMs if you're a person that falls into that category and we'll get you connected to the right people over at UTMB. Final thing that we have to give a shout out to because it was freaking cool. Spartathlon, the 153-mile race from Athens to Sparta. Camille Heron and Fotis. Oh, I've had to say his name on the UTCT live stream and I don't have my cheat sheet with me, but it's Zizimopopoulos. Um, a Greek athlete. They both won the race. Um, Camille finished third overall. She was the first woman to ever break 24 hours. Second and third this year also broke. Yeah. Second and third this year also broke 24 hours. Um, they went out super hard and Camille actually let them go, which is so cool. I saw that. I was so impressed. Yeah. So, so impressed. And she came back running 22, 35, breaking the record by two plus hours. Crazy. Amazing. Like this, this is a, this is a performance of the year style yeah. performance from Camille, yeah. I think. Like a 160 Otis, mile race at 8, 840 pace or something. Yeah. Insane. Like so, so good. Such a smart and well-executed race as well. Fotis mm-hmm. um, took the win and broke a course record from Giannis Chorus, who is like mm-hmm. one of the all-time greats at timed events and this style of race. Um, mm-hmm. The old record was 2025. Fotis ran in 1955 this year to take the win. And I think he won by like two hours or something as well. So really, really like the temperatures were just really good this year. Or if we just got better fields. I mean, I think part of it's probably super shoes. I think I two super shoes aren't going to take two hours off of a time, but they are definitely an advancement from what we've been running in, you know, a decade ago. This race, this race is 40 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So that all tracks on my end. Um, <laughs> neither here nor there. I'm not an anti super shoe person, but I think that there's definitely some benefit going on to oh, yeah. elite fields. This, this is a largely a road race, um, with trail mm-hmm. se- sections. So I think it's going to suit perf- high performance super shoes. Well. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. We have to give one more ad shout out and that is to our friends over yeah. at the feed. They're all our friends. I don't know if you know that. Um, but you, what we do is we get these snack boxes once a month from the feed over at www.thefeed.com slash trail society. If you go to that link, again, thefeed.com slash trail society, you can get a $15 credit quarterly. 
That's $60 over the course of the year to buy things like waffles, which is what I had before this podcast and why I am so hyped right now. Keely, <laughs> you're in Park City doing doubles, running and biking every single day. What is coming out of the feed box to get you through these uh, beautiful yeah. Park City fall days? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's been so amazing. So I also have the waffles, the big old hunky ones, maple flavored. Um, oh, the best. I've also been doing the Yoji best. bars for Hillary's request. Um, and then I love picky oats. So I got like the beet picky oats. So like has beets in it, which I really like. And a nitrates, little bit of a baby. Before I run with the nitrates, exactly. Um, and then coffee. <laughs> but that's my normal and I feel like everyone knows I'm going to say that by now <laughs> they're like oh Keely on the coffee she always gets coffee well you can also get coffee and waffles and everything in between you know it's it's nice it's really your one-stop shop for all your sports nutrition and snacking needs and that is over at www.thefeed.com slash trail society on to the meat and potatoes of this thing um, potatoes. I was kind of starstruck going into this interview um sophie power is so cool anything that's happened any pregnancy deferral policy that you've seen any the good ones we won't give her credit for the bad ones because that's not fair to her um you like the big utmb pregnancy like parental policy that came out this year that's sophie that's sophie working hand in hand with people like esther chillog and caitlin gerben of the ptra to make changes for good for the sport She's phenomenal. She's a longtime ultra runner and mom of three who stepped into a calling, I would say, when a photo went viral of her breastfeeding her then three-month-old son in the Cormier aid station during the 2018 UTMB. Since then, she's become the trustee to the research and insight charity Women in Sport, as well as launching her own advocacy organization called She Races, which you can follow on Instagram. It's a great follow. If something is going wrong in the sport, they are going to call it out over there, <laughs> um, which fights to get more women on start lines. And I think I'm just going to step out of the way and we can dive right into this interview. Uh, hi, everyone. I am Sophie Power. I am an ultra runner um, and more importantly, mum of three. Um, and I live um, in the trail, on the trails, just about 30 miles south of London. So kind of rolling hills, um, pretty muddy at this time of year. Yeah, we're uh, into mud season here in Seattle too. It's been actively raining most days. So the dog and I get a bath as soon as we walk in the door. Nine runs out of 10, I think at this point. I think... Many people know you from that viral photo from the 2018 UTMB. Um, you know, you're in the Cormaria station breastfeeding your then three-month-old son. But that was far from your first ultra. I actually recently learned, and this is, you know, me just being like, who, like, where does Sophie come from? That you signed up, your first ultra that you signed up for was Marathon de Saab or MDS, <laughs> which is like one of the most difficult stage races in the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your introduction to trail and trail racing and how MDS fit into that picture? <laughs> sure. So I was, I was the overweight, unsporty kid at school. So I remember running the mile when I was 14 and coming second last in my class and thinking, I am not a runner. Like running is not for me. And I would avoid running even when I picked up sport at university and we had, I was rowing and you had to go to the boathouse and I get up super early to walk to the boathouse. So I did not have to run and it was less than a mile. So, um, running was not part of my life, but hiking was, 
Um, my grandmother lived in the most beautiful part of England, which is called, well, in my, my opinion, called the Lake District, which is, um, anyone knows from the Bob Graham round, um, that's where it's based. So I grew up hiking. Um, and then when I was 26, I, um, I lost my job in finance and in a really bad way. And I just was a bit lost and I picked up kickboxing, um, as a way to kind of express my anger and punch something. And I met a friend that I'd been, um, um, learning to train as a pilot in university with, with the Royal Air Force. And he'd just done the marathon to sub. And he said, you'd be really good at this. You know, you were good at adventure training. We did these nine mega marches, which are these hike of uh, 25 miles a day for four days uh, that the military do in Holland. And he said, you could do this. And he goes, everyone walks. No one runs this race. Everyone walks. So you'd be great. Um, you can manage your kit. So I just signed up and I had nine months to go from zero to marathon to sub. Um, I then looked at what it was and thought, oh God, um, I do not want to be out there all day in 47 degree heat is what it turned out to be. So I then went for a run. I was fit from kickboxing, but um, I got a friend to kind of just take me for a run. Like almost like I didn't know, my legs didn't know how to run. Um, and then I realized, you know, I'm actually pretty good at this long distance stuff. I might not have been great at the mile at school, um, but this is something I can do. And actually more than that, this is something I I love. I love the people. I love the nature. I like the pushing my body. I love um, exploring new places. So it became stage racing, became part of my life for a long time and until I had kids and realized that I couldn't go away for 10 days. So I had to run the whole distance at once. I love that. You're like, well, now with kids in the picture, I can't, I can't make a 10 day stage race happen, but I can uh, just run a hundred miles in one go and, and call it good. I'm only missing. It's only 24 to 48 hours. I promise I'll come home. I kind of like that. That's where that turn, <laughs> that turn came from. Um, kind of speaking, leaning into um, being a parent a little bit, we spent a lot of time on this podcast in particular, trying to remove the taboo from taboo topics and subjects. Um, I know you're a mom of three and I think a lot of women and I think mothers in particular struggle a lot when they have kids. They're oftentimes the primary parent, um, just trying to create space for yourselves. Keely, Hillary and I are not, are not yet parents. Um, and so, but we've talked to a lot of moms about this and a lot of parents about this on the podcast. And I'm wondering from, for you specifically, when it came to, to becoming a parent, but still creating space and time for yourself and your own goals and your own personhood, like what that kind of journey has looked like. So I guess, I mean, when you have your first, you don't know what to expect. And, and I had kind of, kind of postnatal depression after my first because I had such a bad labor that I had an episiotomy and, and a von delivery, so he was kind of sucked out. Um, and I had no pelvic floor for three months. Um, I just, I couldn't take a running step without leaking and running was taken away from me and exercise was taken away from me. And I think my husband, and I realized very quickly that that was really important. And I wasn't a serious runner at all. Um, I'd done a few hundred milers, but I mean, I was training maybe 20 miles a week. Um, and we realized that running had to be part of my life. I needed that space. I needed that. We worked out what running had meant to me and the importance it had in my life. Um, and also the challenge of the event. So it's a real priority. Uh, I think it's now, I've only really taken it seriously, um, you know, kind of getting my first kind of GB vest at 24 hours since I had my third, um, strangely enough. 
um, yeah, I'm 41. I got my first UV vest. I just turned 40, um, which is a bit crazy for the girl who was second last at school. Um, but it really is so important that I think as mothers, and I think that the, the photo spoke to so many mothers is, you know, we don't just lose our, our, our sense of self when we become mothers. We still have our own lives. We still have our own goals and our dreams. And I know that I'm a, such a better mother to my children by having these dreams, by pushing my, my body, by, by setting this is my goal and these are my steps towards taking it. And if I do this, then I'm going to get there. I think it's it's a great example to set. And um, I often speak to a lot of dads who kind of mums don't ask for that time after they have babies. And I think mums need to have the confidence to say, you know, I, I deserve that time and actually I'll be better mother and and dads being there to to support them. Yeah. And that goes for for kind of parental existence in general. I think a lot of the weight falls to moms or falls to the the female caretaker time and time again. But, you know, as a coach working with men and women, many of whom are parents, like there's definitely something to be said across the board as parents of trying to make time for yourself because it does, it makes you a better parent, a better employee, a better boss, a better partner, et cetera. And for those who don't know, a GB vest means that you'll be representing, um, Great Britain at the 24 hour world championships that's coming up in December, right? Yeah, it's in Taiwan. So it's, um, it's a long way away from home. And, um, it's funny the, the, the British, so there's only four in the British female team, um, and the six in the men's and our WhatsApp little group, the first thing we worked out when it was like Taiwan and we'd be selected, we're all mums. And the chat was, how are we going to sort our childcare? And there's lots of dads in the men's team. And we're pretty sure that that did not get mentioned in their WhatsApp as kind of on selection. Um, so it's a week away from home. So it's a bit of a juggle. And I'm trying to get loads of brownie points with all my uh, mum friends um, by doing play dates and everything. So I can like, you know, redeem them like when it comes to the championship. Yeah, Keely and I do that with dog care. We don't have to do that with child care quite yet, but I'm all about redeeming redeeming the brownie. I'll watch your dog this weekend if you'll watch my dog next weekend. The <laughs> the calendar's already been lined out for like the next 6 months of who's taking our yeah. our little our little non our non-children, but our our very Turns out it's harder dogs. with two dogs though. Ooh, yeah. The brownie Keely... points are harder to get with two now. You're like, "Oh, man. Somebody yeah. three is help. Three, don't don't think about three. It's I, I I I kind of um. It's really easy for my friends to like give me kind of when they have an only child. It's like I don't even notice an extra child in my household because there's three and like it's just screaming anyway. But like I can never really get rid of my three at once. So right. it's, it's multiple sense. directions. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a fun few days for my husband. <laughs> yeah, I do love that you're like, yeah, I don't think that was the first question being floated in the men's WhatsApp team chat of like, okay, how have you sorted childcare for this trip? Because that is a a big a big concern. I think that's kind of an interesting reflection of of our, probably our society broadly um, outside of ultra running even. And and we'll talk a little bit too about barriers to entry in a little bit. And I think that that is definitely top of mind for for many women in the sport for sure as a, as a barrier to getting back on the start line. You mentioned after your first pregnancy that you experienced kind of this like total loss of, of pelvic floor, um, which it sounded like I listened to an interview and it sounded like that was a kind of a surprise coming out of pregnancy. Number one of just being like, I had no idea that I 
had a pelvic floor that this thing was going to happen to me. And so obviously education continues to evolve for mothers and for, and for um, parent, like for mother athletes in particular. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, from your own personal experience here now, having gone through pregnancy and giving birth three times, kind of how that education has evolved both for you, maybe personally, but also broadly for active moms. Oh, and I, th- I think the world's changing really quickly on it. I mean, I guess I wasn't on social media really at all before that photo went viral. So I wasn't, which is a good thing because I didn't know what was normal for a mum to kind of give up her hopes and dreams when she gives birth, um, even though it shouldn't be. And I guess I didn't know any of the pelvic floor, prolapse, anything really. And no one tells you. Like my midwife never once brought it up that this could be, this could happen, that I could do things to prevent it, that I could strengthen myself, what to be prepared for. And I think it's now much more openly discussed. I mean, I had a prolapse after my third and I didn't know what one of those was either and have had to kind of manage it and strengthen up and and it's improved so much. Um, But yeah, it's like, it's a real taboo topic. I think most mums and even women who kind of haven't given birth kind of leak at some point and um, on the trails and so many people come up to me and say it's great you're talking about it because it's a really difficult subject but there are so many things um that can be done um my my physio um she's called Emma Brockwell she actually wrote a book called why did no one tell me um because I wish I'd read that before I had babies I think I still would have had the babies but I'd have been you know more kind of forewarned about it but it's um and, it, and the same thing for like exercise during pregnancy, you know, there is research is only just starting and it's coming out really strongly that, you know, when you exercise during pregnancy, it's great for your physical health, your mental health. And it's also great for your baby too. Um, so fit mom has fit babies. And it's really exciting that hopefully we can start changing the narrative around exercise in pregnancy and mother athletes to show that, you know, you can stay, keep your fitness during pregnancy and you can you know, continue as an athlete afterwards. And it's great in the Olympics, you see so many kind of women, kind of mother athletes with their babies. It's just, I think it's starting to change things for for the rest of us going in. So it's really positive. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know for me personally, anyway, I get to, I've got a bunch of really good examples right now in my kind of my peer group in, in the sport of trail and ultra running. Keely and I have a really good friend, Rachel Drake, who is almost about a year out from having her first child and just like getting to see women do it. And I think that that goes from the front of the field to the back of the field, right? Like having that, I've, I've seen another mom do this. I've gotten to witness this person go through this thing, experience the full, the full paradigm of being pregnant and giving birth and, and have gotten themselves kind of back to the trail. And I'm wondering, I'll ask this question again, kind of phrased a little bit differently later on, but you know, now kind of post postpartum three times like is there something that you know now that you wish like like specifically that you know now that you wish you knew going into pregnancy number one I think it was to spend as much time preparing for being postpartum as I did for like the labor I think everyone focuses on labor and they have this massive long tick list and they have this big birthing plan and then there's no plan for when the baby comes out and I think kind of focusing and sitting down with you know, your partner and going, what does this look like for us? What does your life look like? What does my life look like? Kind of, are we going to try breastfeeding? And, and breastfeeding has been a real huge part of my life. And 
my my daughter, my youngest, had a lot of allergies. So I breastfed her for kind of almost two years in the end. And you know, that takes time. That means a different kind of life setup to who could do the night feeds, who could do this. And I think sitting down, go, what do we want as a family? What do we want you to do? What do we want me to do? How are we going to share this? What we're going to have to give up stuff. Like, let's agree that before the baby comes out, and especially how we look after, you know, the mother's maternal, like mental health, um, I think gets missed in all of this. So, um, yeah, I think we wish we'd had a plan. We definitely had a plan for number three. Um, and that was really great to see the difference and, you know, knowing that getting me back to fitness um, and to racing and being on the trails, however that looked like, was was really important for us as a family. Yeah, I think that's critical. We've talked to a couple a couple moms on various topics and they've all kind of mentioned that like fourth trimester essentially of like, yeah, people forget to tell you that there's a fourth trimester. There's a, there's a new adjustment to a new life and preparing and planning for it is as important as preparing to get pregnant and preparing to give birth, et cetera. So I think that that'll resonate and hopefully I'm like, okay, add that to the reminder list for myself. <laughs> think about postpartum. Um, so going back, I think to where it all began in a big way, again, that image from Alexis Berg from that 2018 UTMB, you're both, you're both breastfeeding and pumping actually, which is, it's a remarkable image. I think many of our listeners will have seen it. You're at the 50 mile mark approximately of, of UTMB in Cormier. And it's a race that you completed just three months after giving birth. And I think a lot of people, myself included, saw that image and thought, wow, like what an inspirational runner what an incredible athlete and mom. And while that's true, like you can hold that thought. The other thought is that this occurred because UTMB at that point in time wouldn't allow you to defer your place in the race due to pregnancy. And so I'm kind of wondering how did it feel at the time making that decision? And how did you feel knowing that like after the image came out, like what the messaging might be from it? I guess I mean it wasn't my first place in UTMB. Um, so I had a place in 2014, and then I, was, I fell pregnant with my first son, Donica, and um, I lost that place because they said no. Um, and it took me four years to get another place. So mm-hmm. the first year after, because I had that slow return, I didn't have enough um, points um, to enter. Um, and then the next two years, I didn't get in. And then they had a rule then, if you don't get in for two years, you get a, an automatic place a year after. Um, so I thought I had kind of ages because I found out, I guess, 18 months before the race that I had a place. And I thought, hey, we'll get pregnant, have a baby. I'll have a one-year-old on the start line. It'll be amazing. Uh, so more than 18 months. Um, and then pregnancy doesn't really work like that. So it took longer than expected with all of them. And um the first thing I thought when I when I found out I was pregnant, I then checked the calendar and goes, oh God, I'm gonna have a three-month-old on the start line. So it wasn't um it wasn't a goal to finish a race. And that seemed ridiculous. You can't do that UTMB with a three-month-old. But we booked a family holiday to think I could just walk, because obviously I couldn't defer again. I could go for 10K or something, and I could just have that as a as a goal in mind to stay fit through pregnancy and to experience the start line, which is crazy, as you know. Um, and and that was there. So um, it was never a, a decision to finish the race. Um, I kind of called up an old coach when I was, I think I just got back to some jogging kind of six weeks, seven weeks postpartum, called up my old coach and 
asked him if he coached me for it. And he told me, no, you're crazy. Um, and then he said, but I know someone who'll also tell you you're crazy, but they're a mum of three. So my coach, Edwina Sutton, who's phenomenal, um, she said she wouldn't coach me either. Um, and then I asked her if she was in my place, would she do it? And she's like, oh, for God's sake. So um, she got me there, but it was just <laughs> going to be a hike and see. And then we, I did so much strength work and I did so much work during pregnancy to stay strong and lots of like revolving stepper and treadmill hiking because you can hike UTMB I think this is the the everyone thinks it's a run I hiked it um pretty much apart from one call um but then my three-year-old at the time um he saw everyone crossing the finish line with their parents from the races early in the week and he's like mommy that's gonna be me that's gonna be us we're gonna I was like god I've got to finish it um so I don't think I'd have bother getting all the way around if it weren't for the fact that he was very much expecting to be running through the streets of Chamonix holding his mum's hand um so that's what we prepared for it's it's so cool and I think it's you know reflecting on like 2018 to 2023 like things things have changed and you are one of the people behind the scenes making making these things change um which I think many of us are very very grateful too. And, and it's it's been slow. I think as you and I both have had many conversations with some big race orgs and it is, it's slow. It's very slow going. I joke frequently that it's like pulling teeth to get things that feel very practical and very on the surface. And I'm wondering, you know, what do you think was one of the most important things that came out of that race moment, kind of catapulting your story into the spotlight then? And I think yeah, it was, it's a weird thing to be put in the spotlight because I didn't really think about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Alexis came over to my husband and said, can I take this photo? And I just didn't think I was doing anything unusual. Yeah. Like I had my goal and I went to finish a race and I had to breastfeed. He was only breastfed at the time. And, and I had 16 hours with no access to pumps and being squeezing out behind trees. And, and I mean, the pain just like, it was basically these inflated watermelons that were throbbing. Um, so I didn't really think about it until I saw the photo. And then I just hoped that not another woman would have to go through what I went through and they would be able to be on that start line when they were fit and ready. And I just thought UTMB would see it and go, of course it makes sense to have pregnancy deferrals. And we know that didn't happen, um, not yet. But a lot of other events did. And I think Western States, I think this was the time they put it in and it was publicized around the world. And um, and then I went on to have kind of to talk about pregnancy deferrals and and kind of have some um some organizers to work with. So London Marathon said no to some women and, and work managed a campaign for them to to get the good for age. Um and then what I think I realized was pregnancy deferrals that women are different from men you know, we have babies. Um, and I think that's where as, and we should be encouraging, you know, those women back onto start lines because we know that, you know, the, the children's, um, health and the children's kind of activity levels are linked to their mothers. Um, not so much the fathers, dad who goes out on a five hour cycle on Saturday doesn't have the same impact as them seeing their mom kind of go running and they're on their bikes alongside. So I think, understanding that that was a it should be a, a right for women to have these deferrals um and then I took a step back going do you know what it's not about pregnancy deferrals there's so many barriers to women being on a start line 
Um, but that's often the, I think that's the, when I talk to a race and I want them to, I'm sure talk like, kind of, I want them to adopt the she races guidelines. I want them to be more inclusive of women. They can't, pregnancy deferral is the first way that it's so obvious that we're different from men. And then once you open that door, then you get to have the conversations about all the other things that would make a race more inclusive to not only women, but actually everyone on that start line, um, because it's not everyone is catered for um, at the moment. And events are very much designed through um, often kind of a white male lens um, and not for the rest of society. So, um, yeah, I think the pregnancy deferrals and in my own thinking, what I realized I've been given this platform overnight and, you know, it was almost like a duty of mine to, if I think someone has a platform, I think you should do the best you can with it to help others. And, and that's just what I try and do now. Yeah. I think this is the kind of the perfect time to talk. I mean, this will be a very wide ranging conversation. I didn't think all hemmed or all kind of under the she races and advocacy work kind of category here. You mentioned she races very briefly. It's an organization that you started kind of after this 2018 moment. And I'm wondering just to kind of get us kicked off, like, what was it that made you think, okay, this is the, this is what I need to do right now. I think and it took me ages. I mean, I only, she races only was started um, last June. So it's only really a year old, um, which is crazy because I think so much has changed since and the norm, I mean, it's mostly UK races, but now there's interest from all around the world. And, and I speak on kind of, things when you can, yeah, coming on something like this, knowing that it's going to go to the US and some of the race director stuff um, goes global and and it's inspired change everywhere. But for me, it was, I think the pregnancy deferrals were um, really important. And I think I just got to have so many conversations with women and really looking at the fact that like when I'm on an ultra start line, especially longer ones, there aren't many women. Why aren't there many women? Because women want to do hard things and we're very, very capable of doing hard things. But why are we not there? Um, and that led me to go, well, I don't, I know the answers for me, but I don't know the answers for other women. So I need to go out and talk to as many different kinds of runner as possible. And, and I, I guess the guidelines are really very kind of the same for kind of triathlon and swimming. We're doing a bit more detailed work about um, some specific barriers there, but um, I had two thousand runners from back of the pack to elite, from um, kind of the goals of races from like five k to super duper ultra. Um, really, just send me like two hundred pages of stories about what was happening at events and why they weren't signing up and why they were signing up and the experiences and and how their competition wasn't valued and just then turn that into the guidelines for races, working with race directors go, well, what is actually possible? Um, because we can ask for loads of things, but if a race director can't afford to do it and it doesn't make sense, it's not an easy yes, it's not going to happen. Um, and I think for me, it's, it was a kind of, what can I personally impact on with kind of no budget to start, kind of absolutely nothing. What can I do with the platform I have? I can't get kind of grassroots and I can't work on that because that's just millions of women and I don't have that resource but can I put some guidelines together can I get it in the hands of people who need to see it can I talk about it but yeah I can um and so that's where she races came from 
I love it. And I think this is a great time to dive in. Actually, before we do that, I met Fiona English outside of a coffee shop in Chamonix this year. She was having a conversation with a friend and I was on like a two hour break from doing live commentary. And I was sitting, you know, you're all like just bunched outside on like the two benches outside of Moody, Moody's Coffee. And she was talking and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I am eavesdropping. And like, can I join your conversation? Because this is like really fascinating. And they were talking about kind of um, the talk that you gave during UTMB week and, and like what she had experienced and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, hi, like I'm putting all the little dots <laughs> together and it's so nice to meet you. And it's like, so cool to hear these stories. Um, and I know that she is kind of, when I looked, uh, when I was on the website for She Races, she's on there as kind of like one of, one of the champions for a bunch of these events. So it's really cool to see kind of like, while there's been a lot of UK focus, I believe the mar- like the marathon issue that she came up against was a was a US American major, right? That was Boston. So she wasn't allowed to um kind of keep her kind of qualifier for Boston, which kind of makes kind of no sense. So she had this beautiful letter and Boston nudged, but they still made you pay again. Um so I work with Chicago and they don't make you pay again. Um which is great. And the Chicago policy is great. And New York make you pay again. So it's not a problem policy. So um, yeah, and I think there's a lot on the the international circuit and she did a phenomenal job. And I think it really raised attention to um, the issue that it's, it's, it's everywhere. And women are being penalized for having babies in sport. Um, and, and how do we counteract that? And why should races make us pay twice for the same entry? The baby um, tax. Just be, it is a baby tax. There's a lot of baby taxes out there. And Anne Mother is a brilliant organization based in the US that are doing a lot around lactation um, and kind of having kind of breastfeeding areas. So they're they're brilliant um, um campaigning in the US as well. So there's a lot of different people working on it. And hopefully if we all kind of like create this pincer movement around the sport, we'll get some real change. Yeah. And we, we're going to link the She Races guidelines in the, in our show notes as well. And I think, I think we can hem our barriers to entry and kind of big bullet pointed race issues or, or, or issues that can be raised with race directors and race organizations in a really productive manner. Um, you've kind of broken it down into three categories in those guidelines, them being kind of level the start line, talking about barriers to getting there equally experience kind of what happens at races and then respect our competition. Um, I'm wondering if we can dive into that a little bit and kind of talk about like those three key areas and how there are specific barriers that kind of fit into each and what we can do as individuals, what we can do with she races or other organizations to kind of bring those issues to the forefront. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got to remember I put the guidelines. I should print them out. Um, but um, it's, it's no, cause you talk about some things. I think, um, a lot of the guidelines aren't like things aren't difficult to 5k, but so many things are. And I think we look at, especially trail running. I think most of it's really applicable to the trail running. Um, and the first thing is, you know, women don't sign up for a race that we don't see someone that looks like us on the website. Um, so often the website is a, it's a start line, which we know that the men push themselves to the front. Um, and a certain type of man and, and the guys are looking to win the race and they're certain shapes. So, kind of having imagery on a website that looks like all of us and looks like the runners you want to attract makes us feel kind of more comfortable. Um, and the overviews and how a race director talks about a race, like often like I think men more than women say it's the biggest, baddest, most dangerous ultra in the world. If you get like, 
if you're if you're slow, we're gonna cut you off and like you were leaving the middle of nowhere with nowhere to get home. And um and then you look at the cutoffs and you're like, well, you can walk it quite slowly. Um so changing that language to, you know, yes, it's challenging, but it's achievable. And this is how you do it. And this is what you'd need to do to make the first cutoff and this cutoff. Um, I think the same thing with the navigation, looking at the terrain, like really explaining um, what it is. And I loved, um, I think one of your last podcasts, you talk about kind of map reading and the trail, like how we get more women comfortable out with knowing what to do. The more logistical information that race directors can show, I think kind of 60% of women like really wanted more logistics about how it's going to work. Um, and then kind of, yeah, the cutoffs as generous as possible. Some races seem to pride themselves in having these really tough cutoffs. If it's not logistically necessary, you can extend it by an hour. We've had a fell race in the UK. They couldn't have the volunteers on the fells, on the mountains for a long period of time. But what they could do is have an early start so that the early, early people could have an extra hour. And that doubled the amount of women over 50 in the race. Um, and also it increased the amount of kind of men in the race as well, the older categories. Um, and then fair deferral policies. Um, so the obvious kind of pregnancy deferral. Um, and also I think it's important to put in this, you know, it's not just kind of kind of pregnancy, it also should be for surrogacy, for adoption. And then looking at the big races that you're traveling to, the partner as well. So um, I don't think anyone wants their partner going off to do a race when you're about to give birth because they can't defer their place. Um, so yeah, so that's the kind of getting us to the start line. Um, and then equaling the experience, looking at the race from uh, a female lens. So we generally need more toilets. Um, we generally need female specific toilets that have period products inside them, um, which is really important and a, a space to change in private. Um, is especially for some of the minority communities, that's really difficult. I think we're talking about um, a triathlon. And, um, you know, when you come out the swim, some race directors are forcing people to take their hat off and their goggles off. Well, actually, you know, that's not possible for some women. They need to go into a private space and and, and put their kind of their, their headwear on. So um, thinking about the chain facilities, um, T-shirts that fit. Oh, the crop tops at UTMB this year, like the, the oh race even the, even the elites all, don't like all them. Crop tops and people, we got my DMs got flooded post UTMB about this because the size people, because they were crop tops, people sized up when they grabbed their shirts. And so we had a listener write in who had requested a size large. They were out of larges when she got there because everyone had sized up to a large because it was a crop top. And then she didn't even want a crop top. And so she requested then a men's shirt. And she's like, oh, I don't really want this like this men's t-shirt and it's just like yeah it was super interesting to say like wow this is like a tiny a tiny little thing but people have worked for four or five years to get into this race and then the race t-shirt is a crop top that they can't wear or won't wear or don't want I tried on all my race t-shirts when I was 37 weeks pregnant and I made a reel of it and um they all fit beautifully at 37 weeks pregnant. It turns out a men's small is me at 37 weeks pregnant. Um, and it's not, I mean, you you feel so devalued as a woman in this, but it's also really bad for the environment because all these race teachers are there, they're never going to get worn and they're going to landfill. Um, we'd rather not have the t-shirt in the first place. So um, we love kind of trees, not teas or kind of charity donations as an alternative, but if you're going to provide a prize or a goodie, 
it's got to be equally valued to a woman as a man. Um, and I think kind of, yeah, yes, the, the t-shirts, the, the, I mean, everyone's wardrobes are full of these t-shirts. It's like, what do we do with them now? You can make them into like teddy bears now and things. So I might have to do that. Um, but, um, the rest of safety, safety is the other kind of big one, um, I guess. And this is where I learned so much talking to women, their stories and, um, really thinking about our safety, you know, where the race is starting, where the race is finishing, how we're getting home, um, on course, um, anti-harassment policies. So kind of calling out to people, you know, this is, this is behavior that we don't accept, um, on course, um, navigating. Um, so if there can be a, um, people like to do a recce beforehand. So offering that up. So we're more familiar with the course, um, and things like taking people off start lists, if they're not comfortable being on a start list without question, taking women off finisher lists um, or allowing an anonymized name. Um, we had a really sad example where a woman was wearing a track and she'd been on a start list and she had a violent ex-boyfriend intercept her in the trail in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's these things that, you know, kind of when you can tell race directors are like, I'm not doing this admin. And then you explain the reasons why. And then like, oh, of course. So having photographers that are going to be in the middle of nowhere with women, um, there's a pro-American version, but we have a DBS check, which is a check on their background. You know, you've got a a man in the middle of nowhere with women running past. They've, you've got to make sure that that man is safe to, for the women to be around. So it's a bit serious, but it's it's really important, especially on the, the bigger races. Um, and then I guess asking having something on the website where women feel they can ask the help. So saying, if we haven't covered something and you need some extra help, you know, let us know. So if you're breastfeeding um, and you want just somewhere to sit, like when I've been pumping, like there's not even been a chair available. And I'm like, what do I do? Um, or just a private place kind of encouraging us to ask because women just don't ask. I mean, I, I did a race. I didn't ask on the race. I had to kind of carry my own pumps around and things because we just don't feel we're able to. Um, so the experience really thinking about through a female lens. And a, a lot of that is just um, as women giving feedback to race directors, but also the race director actively seeking out that feedback um, and saying kind of, you know, I want to know what could I do better? Because if we're asked, we, we will tell people what they can do yeah, better. They, Otherwise, they we'll want, just discuss it in forums. Yeah, they should want that information. Instead of us like having to go and correct them, they should want to put together a, a fair, equitable start line and race experience for all their participants, you know, size, shape, gender, et cetera. And they do, because I think we forget that races are generally businesses and they need to, to make money. They can't be afford to have a loss. And when you have women that are being kind of kept away from the start line and you can find a way to not only get more on the start line, but actually make women want to come back and, and make the experience better for every single runner. Um, who wouldn't want to do that if it was kind of free to do? Um, it makes no sense. Um, and then I guess the last point is kind of equally valuing our competition, which um, has been a, a, a big one recently. And it's not just about equal prize money. So people think, well, I've got equal prize money and I've got equal categories. So that box is ticked. It's not just about the prize money. And I think kind of we saw at UTMB with um, kind of 
amazing your amazing commentary kind of on like let's cover the women's race let's cover the women's let's cover the women's race um being so important on giving the visibility to female athletes in the the race kind of the preview women's preview men's preview there's two races going on every part of it i think it's like on the track we watch like the olympics like the tank there's the women's 10k and the men's 10k there's two races you imagine you mix them all in together and you suddenly have that women's race lost and so really actually think about how do we separate out the races making sure that the women's winner has a tape i mean it's small but it is really meaningful in terms of how we're being valued and how those athletes can then have that marketing exposure that they can go to the brands and get you know better contracts so we can get more female elite athletes um in the race so kind of working with UTMB and kind of Esther Silag and, and Kate Gavin at, at pro trial runners which um I work with and on a lot of the changes UTMB put in and that was a really big one um equal spots in equal car passes and I, I think you mentioned it on the oh, podcast but equal it was car so passes, brutal. E- equal spaces on the front line like we we, we 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 chatted through how you can separate the front of the race and have a space for women um so that we can see like i i'm not up there at the front of utmb i want to see those women that are fighting for that prize i want i want to be inspired by them if they're hidden in the pack i can't see them yeah and like the women's race has been taught essentially that like the men's race is the tactical race and our race is the time trial because we're lost within that kind of men's competition um and some some of us probably benefit from that or or benefit i mean like tactically benefit we're like you're we're lost you don't know where i am i will come back after mile 60 but we want (laughs) you know we want to be able to show that and i think that you know our dms are flooded with that kind of thing of like you know dads and moms with daughters at home who ask you know tuning into western states or utmb like oh do can girls do this too type of thing and you're like oh my goodness yes and like we need to show them that thing i'm i'm wondering you know this kind of goes into us talking about like we're actively working for all these things and maybe not always sharing about all the work that's being done and i guess to kind of start that off i love the pushback we get and by love it's kind of like a love hate when we're talking about okay we're only eight percent of the start line in a hundred mile race maybe up to 20 percent at some of the quote-unquote like good good start fields where we have more women involved and then we'll get pushback that says well maybe women just don't want to do those races like what do you say when you hear that because we hear that all the time i say that if you look at so for she races we have the guidelines and then um, we have something that races can be accredited um and for me, it's a way to say, can a race directors commit to a minimum of, of the guidelines? And I'll like, it's really very, very little, but it's the the kind of important stuff. So it's kind of diversity of imagery, um, equal prize money, review of toilet facilities, um, pregnancy deferrals, no harassment to, um, tolerance, um, um, communicating and enforcing it, um, asking for feedback from participants, um, and making all the commitments easy to find. So really, really simple. Um, just basically, it's a, a philosophy of we value kind of women at our races. And so what that does is they can then kind of sign up for sign up to it completely free. We'll put the logo on a website. And so women can go to the website and see that if they were looking for a race, they know they're going to be equally valued there. Um, and in, for the races can, can promote their races that way. So it's kind of let's help women find the best races. 
So if we look at the average ultra percentage of women is 20, 25%, we have a lot of races over 50% women. Um, women specifically, these are kind of often the kind of six hour kind of timed, but you have gnarly races in the UK that have 50% of women on their start line. The Lakeland 50 is hard. It's a fell race and it is 50% women. So anyone that tells us that we don't want to do hard things, they're just not inviting, making it open to us to do hard things. Cause when we are given that opportunity and we are shown these races that are really inclusive and they're designed with a female lens as well as a male lens, we are going to show up on those start lines. Um, so that's the kind of pushback. And you look at the races that aren't attracting women and I can spot it in a, in a few ways. It, it's so obvious why there aren't the women there. Maybe it's that difficult kind of qualification process like UTMB because I can't go and fly to one race to then get into a ballot for another race and wait and then I've had a baby and that's a huge amount of commitment. It's not just about, of course I can run a hundred miler, but it's the stuff before that hundred miler that's often the problem. So I think when races say, why don't I have women on my start line? I mean, I just open their website and I, t- I tell them what the first picture is and that generally gives them a lot of the answer. Um, but we do, and we're amazing at it. And the more we get women, the more other women will come. Um, and I think that's some of the races that have been along, around a long time. Um, a lot of the intro races, um, having no cutoffs has been really effective because women want to finish. We don't know how long it's going to take, maybe for your first ultra. Um, we also have this amazing event next year in the UK called She Ultra, which is sold out so quickly. 500 women doing an ultra. There's loads of women on the, the wait list and I'm trying to get the organizer to put a second event on. Um, so I think we do want to do hard things. And I think that's really been debunked. And I think um, if race organizers support us, you know, we can get many more women on these start lines. I think that's so cool. And it's like the best clap back possible because it's also like very, I don't know. It's very true. It's like, I had to tell someone in, on Instagram re- recently, like read, read the receipts. Like this is what's happening in women's sports. Like, don't tell me that people aren't interested or engaged or, or want it. Um, but you know, it's still, it's still kind of an up, an uphill battle over very logical, oftentimes very easy things to accomplish. You've done a lot of really good work, um, with she races along with, you mentioned Caitlin Gerben and Esther Chillog from the PTRA. Um, when it comes to working with some really big race orgs, I'm wondering if there are a few things that you're most excited about when it comes to either work that's been done in the last year or work that you're actively hoping to achieve in the next year. I guess I feel in the last year, things have changed in um, that when I started kind of she races and kind of put it out there and had some kind of help, help us, women would come to us saying this race isn't great and this is what happened in this race. This is an issue we're having with this race. And then there's a lot of resources then for generally me to email the race, go, hey guys, this doesn't work and this is how you can improve. What's happening now is that women are being empowered by, I think the guidelines, having something saying, this is what's right. And they're going straight to the race rather than coming via she races. They're being empowered to speak out and say, this is what I deserve. You know, I'm paying my money. I'm going to be on the start line. I deserve this equal experience. Um, and I deserve for women to kind of have our differences taken into account because we're not the same as men. You know, 
it, there's a lot more men that find it easy to kind of pee in front of everyone than we do on a start line. We're just plumbed differently. Um, so I think that's been the big change um, over the years. It's exciting that I don't have to be the one going to all these races. It's actually women saying, I'm going to take it upon myself and really understanding that, you know, you may have a bad race experience and you may never go back to that race. But if you could make that race different and better for every other woman that's signing up for the next few years, that's an amazing thing we can do for each other. And there's so much that binds us together as women. If we can just support other women in our sport, you know, we can drive so much change together. So that's what's been really exciting, as well as having period products really becoming quite normal in UK races um, and and dip, seeing them in different ways. And we're trying to kind of, I had a really funny conversation with a um, someone, a guy's like, I can't put, I just don't know what they are. I, I, I don't know what tampons, I, what would I buy? How would I do it? And we might put like a guideline for men who have obviously like never seen a tampon before um, as to what to buy, how to put them, how we dispose of them. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's moved that kind of lens. It's just changed what women feel that we're allowed. Mm-hmm. And that's the exciting change. And then from now forward, we do want to do a piece of work on triathlon swimming and some of the different barriers, especially to kind of some of the minority communities and making sure that we really are leveling that start line. And it's important to know that she races, it's not grassroots. So it's not kind of getting people into running for the first time it's kind of who is running, getting into start line. So um, but I'd love to really understand a bit more about the people that haven't been on start lines. So the women who run or, or, or swim or cycle, but they've never entered an event because I guess for us, we believe in crossing finishing lines as giving us that kind of strength in the rest of our lives. And we, we love an event and it brings us together. And for a lot of mums, I guess, having that event makes them take the time to train and actually it's the training time and the time in our heads that is what we really need rather than that medal. Um, so it's really exciting and it's really small and it's a bit crazy how much has changed in a year. Um, but just really excited to move things forward and work with more partners and um, yeah, get more women on start lines. Yeah. I think that's our, that's definitely one of our goals with trail society too, is to, to kind of break, like hopefully break down some of those barriers, remove the taboo from taboo topics and, you know, kind of welcome everyone in. And I think when you work in the inclusivity space, I know that we've gotten this on our pushback on the podcast, push back on personal projects that we've been working on. And it's this kind of, you know, you aren't trying to help all women. You're just trying to help women that look like you. And we like try to recognize our privilege all the time on the podcast, whenever we can, like we're three white women hosting a podcast. We can't speak for, for everyone. And I know, that you, I was looking through your Instagram recently, have also kind of like had to sit with that and figure out like, okay, like what what am I doing? Could I be doing something differently? Could I be doing more? Am I doing more? And I'm wondering, you know, how do you kind of reckon with that day in and day out or when you're working on these big projects? Because it is something that I know that we have to remind ourselves too, like we're working for all women and it it can oftentimes if we don't address it or speak fully to it, it can feel like we're just working for the, you know, for us, for white women, for example. No, absolutely. I think I made definitely, I'm a do, a doer rather than a talker, I guess, is, is, is always, and I think it's true. Like, I think very little is shared on, on Instagram and socials about what kind of we're working on and who we're talking to and 
everything behind the scenes is kind of very, very busy. And then there's just a post on Instagram every now and then. And I think, and someone said, this is only for women like you. And it's like, well, actually you've got no idea. And so the first thing is, I think I've learned to, you know, unless someone's in the arena fighting, you know, I'm going to leave that criticism aside because unless they're doing as much and they're engaging and they're driving change, I've got to be careful about, you know, people can say anything. And there's Mm -hmm. lots of people that go, we really need this. We really need this. And it's like, you know, it's disagreeing, but what are you doing about it? How have you driven that change? Yeah. Come and help me. And so I'm very much kind of, I, I love learning something and thinking about something I didn't know about. So we talked to so many different women and the guidelines have had hundreds of eyes on them, but every now and then someone says, and there's, um, an amazing lady called Bianca and she's starting to work with us on triathlon and she's just got this win um, with a triathlon in the UK because the swim caps wouldn't go over her hair, um, her afro hair. She said, I couldn't get swim cap on. So I couldn't, I just couldn't be in the race because you've got to wear the swim cap. And it was just something I'd never thought about. And it was like, this is amazing. What else have I not thought about? Um, what else can we put in the guidelines? So triathlon's like a whole new world because you've got all this gear and all this stuff and, um, yeah, I, I did it a long time ago and I, I just like the simplicity of running. Um, but I think kind of understanding there'll be criticism, but unless that person is actively committed to making things better for women, um, then I think kind of it's 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 more important to park it um, and to really focus on doing and making that change. But I've learned to yeah maybe do kind of more podcasts like these Um more kind of talking about what's happening and really inviting people to to comment and to kind of give ideas like constructive ideas of what we can do um we just want to make things better for women and I think when you have the right kind of kind of kind of north star then um you can you can sleep at night pretty well and and yeah social media can be um challenging but um it shouldn't stop us from keeping going. And I think for me, it was a while I was like, should I do this at all? Um, you know, kind of, why am I doing this? And, and it was like one person or two people. And, and I was like, no, you can't let those two people who are kind of criticizing you stop you generating positive change for kind of hundreds of thousands, even kind of, I guess, millions, um, that are going to be in these races. Um, with better conditions of women. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that in a big way. Sometimes it's noise. Sometimes it's really, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I actually say sometimes it's noise. Sometimes it's, it's valuable information and it's kind of discerning, discerning the two of like, what's going to be productive versus what needs to be couched for the time being. And I guess kind of to, to kind of round that out to at the end, where can people find you or find out more about she races specifically if they want to get involved? Sure. So the guidelines are on sheraces.com and our Instagram is she.races. Um, so follow us on Instagram, um, send us messages, um, hello at sheraces.com. Um, but yeah, have a look at the website and, and definitely kind of, if you see something that can be improved in a race, please tell the race director and, and please mm-hmm. kind of send them the guidelines. Um, so they have a document they can just follow and, and put it all in place. So I've got the World Championships for 24 hour in Taiwan in December, which is all of my focus at the moment um, and pretty scary. Um, and then do you know what? Next year, I don't know. 
I am not a great trail runner. I mean, I'm not a technical trail runner and I stop at every view and take photos. So I'm never going to be very competitive. Um, I think I'd love to go back to UTMB next year. I, I put a, a ban on doing their races until the pregnancy policy was in place. Um, and it's a phenomenal pregnancy policy now. They've really listened and you know, five-year deferrals, um, kind of they refund you and then they give you the opportunity for five years, which is, I think, the best there. So I'd love to go back. I'd love, I'd love to race in the US at some point. Um, I'll be in the Western States ballot again, um, again, and try and get in. Um, yeah, that was difficult. Like pregnancy, didn't have a qualifier. Um, I'd love to experience an American aid station, I think. So hopefully that will be on the cards (laughs) next year, but, um, yeah, I think it's just enjoying, I think pushing boundaries. I'd love to try kind of a 200. Um, my daughter's still young. She's still two. So, um, some point get everyone out to the States, but, um, yeah, just enjoy running and seeing if there are things I can do that can raise awareness as she races or kind of just show kind of mums of three or kind of that, you know, it's, um, you know, your athletic career doesn't stop with motherhood and you can, you can still do great things and we can all do hard things. I love it. Absolutely. I will say we don't use soda streams in the States. So if you are a big fan of bubbly water, our aid stations typically don't have it. <laughs> oh, we, we don't in the US, or UK either. Like I think that's okay, a French okay. thing. Just a European um, thing. Got it. <laughs> do you have, do you have, do you have Coke? Do you have Coke though? Yeah. Of normal course. Coke, just straight up. Oh, that's fine. I, ju- I just need, I just need Coke. That's fine. I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> Okay. I think personally, completely blown away by Sophie Power. I love that. I, you know, I said before we hit record with her, I think you're a doer, not a talker, because it was so hard to find interviews with you. And she's kind of, she kind of, by the end of it, I think she agreed with me as well, that she really is a doer. And I am, I, I am so grateful that we have people like Sophie in our sport, trying to make it better for all of us. Yeah, it was such a privilege to talk with her. Hopefully we can do some collaboration in the future. I hope so too. I was like, cool. When can we schedule your next one hour interview? Just let us know. <laughs> um, Keely, did you have anyone reach out to you about uh, trail vocab? Yeah. So I've had a lot of people reach out about the trail 101 pod and they were really grateful that we launched it. I'm glad we got a little bit of good, good press from it because I feel like it was the first time we did something like this. Um, but a lot of people said it, it just made trail running feel a little bit more um, approachable And so, you know, that's our goal with everything is to make this stuff feel like anybody can do it. And so, you know, keep sending us those DMs. Um, The vocabulary, I feel like, um, not in in particular, I feel like people thought it was funny. And I agree because some of the words just don't really make sense. You don't hear them in the day to day. And so I think we'll keep it going. Um, I know that like free trail is going to kind of get behind that and, and start some bigger things that hopefully you can talk through, Corinne. But yeah. Um, thanks for all the messages around Trail 101. Yeah. Um, so we're Ruby Wiles is coming on to help us with some content. She's going to be one of our kind of regular contributing writers. Um, and she is working actively on a very cool, I don't know if we're going to call it the trail encyclopedia or the trail vocab, but it's going to be a ongoing um, article on the website that continues to get updated. And so she's currently working on that right now. And I'm really excited to watch that list grow with our own vocab and with vocab from you all. So keep your eyes posted on the website. That will come out, I think, probably in the next couple of weeks. The other thing I wanted to give a shout out to this week was um, we put out a piece by Hannah Bellis, who is one of my favorite writers. I hope she's listening to this and hears me say that because she really like her writing is truly a gift. 
she approached me um, early kind of in her public writing career when we launched the website. Um, she's like, I write a blog and I think I'd like to write more. And her voice is really, really, um, I think it resonates with a lot of us. And she's writing for us and for Trailrunner Mag some. But she put out a piece this past week called It's Okay to Care. And it's about like, no matter where you are in the field, it's okay to care about um, doing bad or doing well or, you know, pushing back against this idea of like, it's just running. Um, I'm laughing because it's a dog party at Keely's house now and all the dogs are giving her kisses. I hope you're watching this on YouTube. Okay. But in the piece, there was one paragraph that stood out to me in a big way. And I just want to read it to you to hopefully encourage you to go over to the free show website and look for the It's Okay to Care piece. And it goes, for anyone who's experienced unrequited love, you may remember that caring for someone puts you at risk for deep pain. For others in long-term relationships, you might understand that caring for your partner involves unpleasant emotions, fatigue, and grind, just as much as happiness. We don't love just for fun, despite the many enjoyable moments we experience as a result. We love because we've decided that someone or something matters. Such a thing becomes worth the time and effort. And then she goes on to say that she's currently in a long-term relationship with trail running, and it might it might honestly be unrequited love, um, and that it's uncomfortable at times, but you know this unlikely relationship brings her immense happiness and satisfaction. So I think um, the piece will res resonate with many of you. I would encourage you to go read it over on the Free Trail website. And that is going to be it for our Society Slam this week. Um, continue to slide into our DMs, slide into the Trail Society Instagram page DMs. Um, yeah. And until next time, we'll see you on the trails. <laughs> <laughs>